Welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show, where we help healthcare practitioners in private practice keep true to their purpose and build a life of mastery by providing the knowledge, skills, and tools to bring their dreams to life. In this episode, we talk about charging the correct rates for medical aid claims. There are numerous benefits for being contracted in with various medical aid schemes, especially in the current economic climate, where your patients and potential future patients may need therapy but cannot afford these services out of their own pockets. Hey, uh, Kristen Chance, um, all good to go? Good to go, Marcel. The reason for doing this episode is to look at an amazing article that Chris wrote on are you charging the correct rates for medical aid claims? Um, and obviously, I mean, like with all healthcare practitioners in private practice, well, not all, but you know, a large percentage of them do use medical aid claims. Obviously, that's in a South African context, but you know, overseas, it will be healthcare insurance. And, and you get... You, know, you get the scenario of, of whether or, or what should you charge for these medical aid claims? And, um, you know, how do you know you're charging the right ones? And Chris, when I, when I read your article, it was kind of along that lines. And I want to give you the opportunity now to, to maybe explain to us and, and you know, to, to the audience in terms of what would be the benefits of using correct rates? How do you get that? Um, and maybe go from there. Okay, Perfect. Uh, so, um, again, the benefits of being contracted into medical aid and charging the correct medical aid rates is, so the, to start off with, the medical aids all have a specified rate that they will pay for each individual BHF code. So Discovery has a rate, as an example for a psychologist, for a 60-minute rate, they will pay X amount. So if you are contracted into the medical aid, uh, Discovery will actually pay you that set amount as long as the patient has savings available. I mean, in the current um, climate where we find ourselves, most patients don't have cash to pay for certain procedures or certain treatments that they actually require. So they will always look for, mainly always look for a practitioner that is contracted out to medical or contracted into medical aid. So that when they come for therapy, the invoice will go to the scheme and the scheme will pay instead of patient having to pay out of his own pocket. That makes that it opens up your uh, patient um, base. Uh, it increases it astoundingly. Because again, everyone is actually already paying for medical aid, so I'm trying to get that benefit in. Yeah, I, I like what you said. Um, I just want to be very clear so that anyone listening to this obviously is on the same page as well. So when you say, is the healthcare practitioner contracted in to the medical aid, what does it actually mean? That just means that the practitioner just needs to register with the relevant medical aid. Each medical aid has its own process. Uh, you need to send them a specific form with your information, your practice number, um, you need to give them verified banking details. And once they receive all the information, they physically almost load you as a vendor on their system. So when patient, your, your claims come in, they can see, okay, practitioner has been registered. Your banking details are there and it has been uh, verified. Then they will pay uh, the claims out to you. If you send the claim to medical aid, um, and you're not registered in the systems, they, they'll um, approve the amount, but they, they won't be able to pay you. So it will lie on their systems without going anywhere until you physically register, and then the amount can be paid out to you. 
I'm, I'm just thinking about that particular scenario. So based on your experience and shares, maybe you can even give your opinion on this, yeah. is in that particular case, would they then pay the patient? There have been instances. So again, it, it is dependent on the medical aid. Yeah. So some schemes will hold the funds in a holding account and send communication to the practitioner to say, you need to update your details with the scheme. Yeah. Others will, will then pay that session amount over to the patient or the member. Where that becomes a nightmare for a practitioner is you now have to then go back to the patient and say, your medical aid paid you, you now need to pay me. So exactly. if you're going to be submitting to medical aid, you need to make sure that you are registered with the relevant scheme in order to be paid. Yeah, I know as an example, Discovery um, likes paying the funds um, over to patient if you're not registered. But a scheme like BaseMed will keep the funds in almost like a holding account until you are registered and then they will pay the funds over to you. Hmm. Okay. And does that have uh, any implication, Chris, in terms of um, if the rate is incorrect? So, for instance, if, if the session rate was 950 and the practitioner charged 960, is there anything that you find from that perspective? And I suppose the question I'm asking is, is there any reason for getting it 100% right? Yeah, definitely. If you charge an amount less than medical aid rate, the scheme will pay you out. But if you charge a rate higher, over and above whatever medical aid has said they will pay, so if Discovery says they will pay 950 and you charge 960, the scheme will approve 950, but they won't pay the practitioner. They will then pay the amount over to the patient. So it is important to get those rates 100% accurate. You'd rather be on the money or below then being over, then like Shaya said, then you sit in the situation where now you need to get in contact with patient and recoup the funds from patient back to practice. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the reason for me asking the question is actually just to know. So, I mean, it's okay that practitioners do that just as long as they know pretty much what will happen or might happen in those type yeah. of scenarios. Um, we also do know like with some of the schemes, uh, you know, they never... They never uh, put out their rates, so it's, it's obviously difficult. And in that case, it's, it's, you know, you learn with time, you know, what those rates could be um, yeah. and stuff like that. But so cool, we, we covered, um, you, know, the, 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 you know, why a practitioner would want to be contracted in and how they would possibly charge the rates. You also mentioned in your article, and I must admit, um, you know, this is fairly new for us because when we first, you know, got into the industry, and started looking or helping healthcare practitioners, it wasn't as big a thing as it is currently with especially allied practitioners. Um, so the one was prescribed minimum benefits and extended benefits. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? And, and specifically, how does it apply to healthcare practitioners in private practice? Perfect. So um, first is the prescribed minimum benefit or PMB. Um, so if a patient does, as an example for a psychologist, if a patient comes to see the psychologist and you can see the therapy is needed, depending on the ICD-10 code or the diagnosis code, the practitioner can actually apply for an extent or for a minimum benefit, a PMB, for the patient where scheme looks at it at a case-by-case -case basis and they will approve X amount of sessions. These sessions will be paid out of a separate benefit from the PMB benefit. 
as opposed to your normal medical savings account. Um, as an example, for a psychologist, if you have a patient with severe depression um, or uh, um, any, any type of like a depression, severe depression or um, uh, 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 a diagnosis where you know it has to come out of the, the, the patient needs it. There's no other way for them to to um, function without it. Uh, then you can apply, and depending on the PHF code and the ISD10 code, they will then approve those sessions, and you get let's say 15 sessions. You know, patient can then come for those 15 sessions, and they don't have to worry about okay. Will my savings run out if I need any treatment in future? Because obviously, if a patient has a severe depression or schizophrenia or anything like that, obviously they don't just see a psychologist, they would need to see other therapists as well. So if you have that PMB, you are guaranteed that at least uh, it is the PMB is uh, linked to the same type of therapy. So if it's a psychiatrist and a psychologist, they do share the benefit but at least you know the patient will have X amount of sessions without having to pay for it. Then in some instances, um, depending on the uh, uh, medical aid, the scheme, and the uh, plan that the patient is on, you can also apply for extended benefits when the PMB or the MSA is depleted. As an example, discovery for your comprehensive packages or your executive packages, once PMB is exhausted, and again, depending on your ICD-10 code, you can request ex extended benefits. Then you send a form that you fill out through to medical aid, and it gets evaluated on the basis and on the merits of, of whatever the, the, the report you sent through. And if the scheme then um, approves that extended benefit, you can have, again, sessions over and above your medical savings and your PMP benefit. And again, it, it all goes for, for the benefit of the patient. They still need the sessions. So why should they be uh, limited based on savings alone? Um, all these additional benefits are there and are available in the right situations. Mm. Yeah, and we probably, probably will touch, the, you know, touch on this point a bit later in the discussion. But um, I think the one thing that's glaring, you know, from in my experience is that it does require a lot of skill to be able to understand in which buckets, you know, the medical aids are looking at certain things. I mean, it's so easy to just say it's coming out of savings. I mean, that's, that's easy enough. But all of these other buckets are, are based on each of the medical aids and how they view certain conditions. And that could be quite difficult to navigate through. And I think, um, is, that, is that what you find as well? Yeah, no, definitely it is. I mean, certain medical aid schemes uh, will re reject any claims unless they've received the initial claim and then they've evaluated it. Then they'll approve uh, the sessions. So what I, what I mean by that is where, the, uh, let's say, discovery, you submit a claim and if you have savings available, they will make a payment. If you have a PMB uh, condition, they will evaluate and they will approve it. But certain schemes will, if they receive the claim, they will initially reject it. And then only will you need to give them a call and you need to then um, almost give them a reason as to why this is necessary. 
and they will then approve it. It's not even a PMB, it's just for initial sessions. It's almost basically going through a PMB uh, process just to get initial benefits. So it, it is scheme by scheme, it's very difficult to navigate you what you can and what you can't do based on which scheme. Okay. Um, just we, that, sorry. Just on that note, there is you, PMBs are government mandated. They're not mandated by scheme. So there is a guideline provided by government for PMB conditions. So major depression falls under a PMB as an example, but an adjustment disorder does not. So what the schemes look at is does the treatment match the diagnosis? And yeah. from there, they will evaluate for the PMB. They are mandated by law to pay them, but they do hold the right to say you need to prove that this is in actual fact a PMB diagnosis. And that's where that application process comes through. Yeah. Some schemes will approve an initial amount of maybe four or five sessions and then say you need to motivate to show whether treatment is or is not working to gain the remainder of the 15. So you can find the information on the Council for Medical Schemes or in the Department of Health, but you need to remember that treatment needs to match diagnosis. Uh, the easiest example is, um, again, it's the minimum benefit allowed. So a broken arm, the PMB is to set and cast the arm. The PMB is not to run an MRI on the arm and put on skin grafts. It is set and cast the arm. So when applying, just understand what you're applying for and make sure that you have got the motivations if needed. Yeah, same as with the COVID-19 situation. It is a PMB diagnosis. So um, yeah, if, you, if you send the patient or a patient is sent for a COVID test, the scheme will normally pay the test from the PMB benefit. Because again, it is... Uh, diagnosis is COVID-19, treatment is, well, first of all, to evaluate is the patient actually uh, positive for COVID-19 and the test will then get paid. Yes. And subsequent treatment will then get paid from PMB. Yes. What I like about that, Shaz, um, and you kind of spearheaded that, but uh, I like that, that level of, of knowledge, you know, that's because not many people know this. And I think it obviously, Chris, on your side, I mean, even with the article, you know, it stems from that. And I think, you know, what, what I would like to do going forward even is, um, and it's been a pet project of mine, but, but to be able to understand how the schemes see different things. And I know this changes on a yearly basis, but it would be nice to know that, you know, X condition comes out of that benefit, or you do have that as an option. And I'm not putting my, you know, healthcare practitioner in private practice hat on, I'm putting my hat on as a, you know, as a, as a dad, you know, with, you know, with kids that go for therapy as an example, and to know, you know, how would this be paid by the medical aid that we have? And I think that would be like amazing because I think there's such a, you know, it's almost like such a black box around, you know, because you pay for the health insurance, you pay for the medical aid on a monthly basis, but do you actually use that? And are you using it in the correct way? I think there's definitely a gap around that part. Do you guys agree? Definitely. I mean, no one ever educates you to tell you, okay, this is how it is and that's how it's meant to be. Everything is almost like you need to figure it out yourself or figure out as you go as a parent or as an adult now. It's, it's all on you to get the information yourself. There's no one assisting you to get it. 
wholeheartedly. I mean, the last few weeks have shown me that as well. I mean, the amount of calls I had to make to my medical aid to find out, you know, how do I activate benefits or what do I need to do to get certain benefits activated or do I qualify for them? Um, you know, it's all really nice in the plan type that, yeah, this is covered and this is covered, but they don't always tell you how you get those things covered. So it would be nice to find a way to actually be able to give that information in layman's terms so that the member actually understands what is and isn't covered. And by that helps the practitioner to be able to understand exactly what would be covered for a potential patient, to be able to say, your scheme on this benefit should cover A, B, and C, but you're going to be liable for D. I think that communication would just make the whole healthcare industry so much easier to navigate. Yeah, and having the input readily available where you don't have to go and sift through a magnitude of information just to get to the bare basics of what is covered, what's not covered, and how can you get coverage. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, I think some of that information will, you know, will deliberately be masked in terms of not, uh, you know, in, in terms of not being easily accessible. But I would like to say, like, over time, I would really like to see if, like, like we did with medical aid rates as a company, or like we did with, you know, submissions to medical aid as a company, you know, over time, see if we can almost like unveil that, you know, to the benefit of, of people that are actually using medical aids. Um, so, yeah. So I think, you know, all that I would say is like maybe watch the space and see if we can figure it out and start pushing some of that information, you know, down based on our experience. But I would definitely like to see that almost as a project that we handle over the next year or so. Um, and then coming back to Shaz, what you said, I just want to be clear about this as well. So for anyone listening to this is when you say it's, you know, the, the conditions are dictated by or mandated by government you're not talking about the BHF, which is the Board of Healthcare Practitioners and, uh, or, or, you know, the, basically the body that, that manages, how, you know, the medical aid schemes, but you are talking about the Department of Health? Department of Health. So the PMBs are government gazetted. It does change as they add conditions or the minimum level of care does change as health improves, but they mandate the list of what is considered a PMB condition. The basic understanding of it is, if this happened and you went to state, what is the minimum that state facility would provide you with? Okay, that's, that's good to know. I mean, again, it's, I don't think it's public knowledge or I don't think it's as easily available. I haven't come across that in, well, I haven't researched it as much maybe, but haven't found it uh, easily available. Uh, Chris, coming back to you. So in your article, you also talk about finding the current medical aid rates. And the reason I have a smile is because in the first few years of having the practice management software, I promise you this was the most difficult thing to get across, you know, possibly the 90 plus medical aid schemes yeah. in the country. And um, even, you know, year on year, it's still a challenge with some of the schemes not releasing their rates or or not releasing it on time and stuff like that. So I think it's a constant challenge. But in your article, you talk about how do you get the current medical aid rates. Can you just help us with that? Yeah, so if you do need the current rate, the process would be um, you would need to request the rates from the individual uh, medical aid scheme. 
And again, you would need to have um, the assumption from them would be, or the requirements from them, is that you have a valid active BHF practice number and that you'll only get the rates in the particular area that you that you um, um, work in. So if you're a psychologist, you'll only get the psychology rates. You won't get any other rates. Then you'll need to request that from the scheme uh, and they'll only send you the, their own rates for that particular area of expertise. Then this process needs to be followed for each and every medical aid out there. Um, I think at the moment, I mean, there's more than 80 different schemes in SA, but getting uh, to each and every one, speaking to each one and getting those rates in is an enormous task for any practitioner to try and um, try and get through by themselves. I mean, the amount of time you would need to contact each one individually is astronomical. Mm. Okay. Um, I think my... Sorry, Shaz. Um, just touching on that, Chris is right. You have to contact each scheme. But if you are registered on some of the scheme's online portals, they do have a facility where you can pull the rates for that scheme. Yeah. So you need to also be making sure that you've actually registered on the online portals available to each scheme because you can pick up information there. If you aren't, then you need to follow the manual process of contacting each individual scheme to see if they will send you their current tariff rates. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, main scheme, if you try and call main scheme at the moment, even discovery, the automatic answering service tells you that yes, we have increased our rates, um, the operators or the agents at the medical aid won't be able to assist you with these rates. Please log in to your relevant medical aid portal to get the rates. Um, the uh, agent at BestMed actually advised me on Monday that they don't send out remittances anymore from BestMed point of view. The rate changes and remittances can now only be found by logging into your relevant medical aid portal. So that does make a big difference having access to the portal for each individual medical aid. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, you know, it's probably another episode um, that I've been thinking about in terms of why that would be the case. Uh, I fully support it, um, you know, based on the, the changes in, in, you know, from a legal point of view around, you know, protection of, of personal data and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's good changes. I think what I've liked is, you know, what I liked Thing in the last few years is that medical aids are a lot more transparent about putting their rates out, which I must admit when we first started, uh, even Discovery didn't didn't quite have that feature. So we really struggled initially, you know, with some of the rates. Um, so yeah, all good from that perspective. There's one more question um, I have, and then I'll kind of put it out in terms of closing thoughts. But uh, Chris, you also mentioned, and I, I don't want this to be a plug, you know, for, from a company point of view, but you also clearly mentioned that you could or should use a billing service in order to do this. Is there specific reasons that you would you would say that? No, well, again, um, a billing software is, or service is, it just makes everything so much easier. I mean, it's um, someone that already, um, they, um, how can you say, they want to give you the correct information and want to make the process as easy as possible. So from a billing software point of view, if you're using a billing service point of view, 
Um, as soon as the rates change, as was the case two, three weeks ago with all the medical aid schemes, immediately those rates get updated in the system. So the practitioner doesn't have to now go and sift through all the information or log into a portal to get everything. It's already on the system. On, on the, the system. It's there, it's available, you can send it through. Uh, medical aid schemes also change um, the claiming for format they, they require or email addresses um, or EDI links that they use for switching uh, when you are claiming or sending your claims through to them. The billing software or services, they normally update those uh, on, your, on their own behalf but to make it easier for you. So it just makes everything so much easier. You, all you need to worry about then is the therapy generating your invoice, you know the rate's going to be correct, you submit your claim and you know it's going to the correct place. It takes all that worry and all that almost like um, the gray area out completely, allowing the practitioner just to focus on what they need to, sending the claims out, knowing that as long as there are savings available, or I have a BNB, the claim is going to get paid. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, so on that point, I just want to also mention that it's it's not just getting the rates and it's not just submitting, you know, the claim to the medical aid. You know, often, you know, in our experience, it's it's also the following up and the following up to check why wasn't it paid, although it's a valid claim or it's not a valid claim or and stuff like that. So so when I when I read your article and it's specific, you know, specifically that paragraph and that section, I just thought of those points is that you know, it just makes that time part for the practitioner a lot better. It makes that whole, um, you know, getting the money in that you were supposed to for the claim uh, much more better. So I, I can kind of see the, the benefits of that. And obviously, you know, it would be selfish, you know, like to be able to plug that. But that is the biggest reason for out, not, not really outsourcing it, but partnering with a, with a billing service to be able to do that um, and just make life a lot more easier. Unless obviously the, the practitioner does want to phone the medical aids and does want to follow up every two weeks and, and stuff like that. And that's a different story. And, you know, then they by all means should do it. But I think as the practice grows, I think the practitioners either don't want to do it or it just is, uh, it's just a pain to do. So um, yeah. Chance, on your side, uh, just to, I just had one, one question to ask you. And if you have any closing thoughts, um, just mention that and then we'll close off with Chris and uh, just leave it there. But, you know, we, we spoke about medical aid, you know, like in terms of financing and funding claims at the moment. Is there, is there um, any risk to doing this um, in your experience from working with healthcare practitioners in private practice? Look, everything does come with its risks. Um, the biggest thing that we that you face as a healthcare practitioner is when a member is assuming that their medical aid is going to pay the account and the account is then not paid because savings are depleted or benefits have run out, you do run the risk then of having somebody who financially cannot afford the sessions. So you need to be very aware of that side of submissions because you do run the chance, depending on the plan type, that your patient has run out of benefits halfway through the year, and now you're sitting with a situation where you're six or seven sessions in and you're now not being paid for it. So if you are using medical aid and you are 
submitting, you need to be making sure that you're submitting on a regular basis so that as soon as those benefits run out, you are open to then be able to have that conversation with your patient of there aren't benefits you now need to start paying via EFT or credit cards so that you don't run the bad debt risk of a medical aid patient now not paying you because they can't afford it. So just bear that in mind. If you have got PMBs approved for a patient, try as best as you can to keep an idea of how many sessions they still have so that you can start priming the conversation before the benefits are depleted to prevent that bad debt problem that can arise. And check your remittances regularly to make sure that everything has been paid correctly. Okay, perfect. That's really um, the best sorry. advice I can give on medical aids. Okay. Um, Chris, on your side, any closing thoughts in terms of what was discussed? Yeah, I would say um, knowing the medical aid rates and knowing that you have the correct rates is extremely important. I mean, like I mentioned, the medical aids increased the rates about two, three weeks back. And I was amazed by the amount of practitioners who told me, well, they weren't even um, informed by medical aid that rates had actually gone up. So, again, you don't know what you don't know. So if, you're, if you called at the beginning of the year and you're used to having medical aids only increase the rates in January, end of December, beginning of January, you won't know that actually medical aid is willing to pay you additional funds for the sessions this year. That just makes it uh, almost like a no-brainer to say, okay, well, let me just make use of a service or um, someone else that can assist me to make sure that I'm actually using the correct information as of today and not using information from two, three weeks back that might not be as up-to-date as it can be. Hmm. Okay. So I want to. Uh, uh, I just have one, a few more thoughts, um, and to close up. But um, in terms of medical aid, so we we always recommend to clients. I mean, use medical aids because you know not many businesses have a funding source, and you know medical aids can be a funding source, especially from your client perspective or the patient perspective. So it's definitely a good good option to have. Just bear in mind that there is that risk of non-payment based on you know, benefits being exceeded. And the other thing I would just do from a conservative point of view is try not to make your practice all medical aid dependent because I think you do want a certain part of the practice to be more private rates uh, applicable because then at least you balance out the risk a little bit with that. But overall, I mean, like if you're using medical aids, it, that's, that's the reason that they exist is to be able to use them in the way that you are. But not many businesses have this type of benefit. So it's, it's amazing. Um, and we definitely recommend that you use it in, you know, in the way that, that, that is, that, that's easy to do. And, you know, that's, that's easy for you as well. And to be able to get the, the money paid for those claims. Um, and that's pretty much it. I, th I think this was a really good session. So I want to thank uh, Shaz and Chris, um, especially for the content, for your knowledge, and also your, your real life experience, you know, because I think that's the biggest thing is, I mean, we can write on whatever we need to and, and talk about whatever we need to, but to actually see that, that expertise and that knowledge kind of coming through is, is good, to, good to know and good, good hopefully, for, for anyone that's listening to this. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Oliver. It was a really Thanks, nice conversation. Okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.